This is Digital Pathology Today. Now, here's your host, Dr. Joseph Anderson. Welcome to Digital Pathology Today. I'm Joe Anderson. I'm sure by now most of us have heard the concept of a fully integrated digital pathology system, but what exactly does this mean and what will it look like compared to the analog model we've been so accustomed to? And what is the business case for digital pathology? And is it strong enough for us to achieve full-scale adoption? What's the return on investment going to be? And is this return on investment going to be different depending on the practice model, say in a large community hospital versus academia versus a small private practice? And how can we get the pathologist fully in the driver's seat to move digital pathology forward? Today, we're going to be talking to Michael Isaacs, the Director of Clinical Informatics and Business Development from the Department of Pathology at WashU School of Medicine in St. Louis. Mike has a computer science background with over 25 years of experience in supporting information technology in the laboratory, which has uniquely positioned him to identify the informatics needs of pathologists and pathology departments. His primary interest is providing strategic vision for the implementation of digital pathology to healthcare systems and to better meet patients' needs. Mike has been on the board of directors of the Digital Pathology Association for the past five years and is currently the co-chair of the Education Committee for the Digital Pathology Association. This episode of Digital Pathology Today has been brought to you in part by JAV Advisors. With over 16 years' experience, JAV Advisors focuses on business and management consulting for digital pathology and artificial intelligence in deployment within histology, pathology, and cytology laboratories throughout the world. Call 213-258-6268 for more information. JAV Advisors. Michael Isaacs from Washington University. Thanks for being with us. Thanks, Joe. I'm happy to be here. And appreciate the offer to spend some time talking about digital pathology. Yeah, I think our listeners are very interested in what we're going to be talking about. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your experiences. How'd you get interested in digital pathology? And and tell us a little bit about the work you've done at WashU. Sure. So currently, I'm the Director of Clinical Informatics and Business Development at, at Washington University School of Medicine in St. Louis. I've been involved at many different levels at the university in, in the laboratory from supporting just supporting the the LIS to implementation of different aspects of digital pathology. I've been interested in in digital pathology for about 10 years now and and we really got focused on digital pathology out of a need. And that need was or or a problem I think that we had with our outside consults being sent to WashU and us not getting them turned around quick enough to get them sent back to our clients and then once they were sent back to the clients, we had no record of them. And we may need them if they showed up, you know, three weeks later for surgery and we needed them for a frozen. And so we decided at that time, we should be digitizing. You know, the digital pathology was coming out, it was somewhat new, but we got this grandiose idea that we could digitize every one of them. And so we bought a scanner, went through the evaluation, bought a scanner, plugged it in and and started scanning. And we quickly realized that having an image that's not truly associated with a patient and a patient's diagnosis, I wouldn't say that's useless, but it, but it certainly doesn't bring the value that we wanted it to. And so at that time, we made a quick turn and, and we contacted our vendor, which was Cerner Copath at the time, and 
the PAX vendor or the scanner vendor and said, well, you know, we need to build an interface between these. We have to connect these. And we were actually the first ones, I'm fairly certain we were, I know we were the first ones to do this with Copath LIS. I think we may have been one of the first ones to do it with any LIS. And so we implemented that and integrated that piece. Now it's archived, right? But we were able to connect the laboratory to the digital imaging scans. And so our pathologists would be able to quickly go back to pull these images up for particular patients. And so that's when we really started getting into digital pathology. We probably have over 150,000 cases now archived in a repository that we can pull up with the LIS. And so, you know, now we we look at different, we've, we've grown from that and, and we're looking at different avenues that we can implement digital pathology. And that's we, we've obviously done that over the last eight or nine years, but it was a great first step for us. Well, you said you said a lot there, and I think the, the last thing you said is just the volumes. I think it's easy to forget, you know, just what kind of volumes we're actually talking about in surgical pathology, right? A busy community hospital or large academic center could be doing an upwards of 30,000 cases a year, and I think these numbers are only going to be going up with aging population and, and so forth. So I think one is the sheer volumes that we deal with, we have to find, you know, better ways to uh, enhance the workflows to be able to handle this. And then secondly, what I didn't really even think about is that the use case or the workflows are going to be different depending on the institution. You talked about, you've had a pain point with consults, which is a slightly different workflow and probably even a way more complicated workflow than than, you know, a, an in-house case, right? These slides and blocks come in the mail, you have to find a way assign it a new number for your lab information system, get the diagnosis. And then even there, it, it could be a consult from a world's expert at your institution, or it could be a referral for a patient coming in who's going to have surgery at your hospital. So the workflows are going to be slightly different in every in every case, which I think we often may not take into account. And then you kind of led with, how does this integrate with your LIS or lab information system? So I think there's, there's a lot there. So, and and you alluded to informatics. So we'll, we'll get to that in a second, but just for, so let's take a step back and tell us what, how do you see a fully integrated digital pathology system functioning? What, what does it look like this integration with, with the lab information system? You know, Joe, it's a, it's a great question. And I think it's, it's somewhat of a difficult answer. And I think that, that it's, it continues to change. I think because everyone sees, you know, and you mentioned it, 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 it changes a little bit from institution to institution and from the size of the institution. If it's a, a training center or medical center to a consortium of hospitals, there's there's different values, right? And and there's different complexities within their own infrastructure. And so my thought, an end-to-end solution, you know, it, do you want a con- complex and tightly integrated one? Or, you know, and, and unlike radiology, where they had their PACS solution, the laboratories have their, um, relies heavily on their, their LIS. And the, the laboratory information system provides an end-to-end solution for the current workflows. And, and that means from accessioning, creating a case, to grossing a specimen through histology into the pathologist's office, and then the sign out. And then they're able to generate a report. And then the LS also provides the ability to bill. And we know how, you know, that's certainly not the, you know, patient care is, is our primarily, primary focus, but we also, you know, 
we have to be paid. And so we have to, to be able to track this. And so personally, I feel at this time, there's a solution, you know, there's not real one solution that can, can offer this. FDA has approved a couple different scanning vendors, but those are somewhat locked down solutions. I, I feel that the current hub and spoke model and the, the LIS should continue to be the hub of this because it has all this information and it has expertise in, in patient tracking and reporting such as synoptics and as I mentioned, billing. And I think that it's important whatever solution you have, your pathologists have to be comfortable with it as you start to move forward. I think the, the requirements the FDA has put on the digital scanning vendors is, is changing. And I think with COVID, they may unlock it a little bit more, but our pathologists do not want to log on to multiple solutions, right? And, and, and it, you can interface this information, but you can certainly see that, that doing this can cause complexity. So one of the complexities is, well, you know, if I scanned it with this scanner, I have to have this image viewer to open that image. And so how do we get above that, get, get beyond that? It's difficult. And then once you get past that, if you can build an integrate solution, which, which we've done somewhat here in, in an aspect for at WashU for consoles specifically, but that doesn't take into consideration of AI. And I think that's where we all want, want to get and see this going. And so being able to integrate the AI into a streamlined workflow is going to be essential. I mean, there's really two different models that you could, could take the, you know, just metadata exchange that is probably the simplest form of interoperability where, you know, you, you pass on the information from a barcode that's been generated from the laboratory information system to the PAC system or the, the scanning vendor solution. And, you know, and there's messages that go back and forth that says, yeah, I received it and, and, and I filed it here correctly. And then the pathologist then it sends back a, a link to the LIS and says, okay, this image for this patient is located in this area. And so it's just a link. And so the pathologist that's embedded within the LIS, they click on it and the, the viewer can be opened. That seems to be kind of the simplest. However, still complex, because if you have multiple vendors, you, as I mentioned, you have multiple viewers. But it also probably doesn't set well for the as you as you grow more into AI. And so, you know, you could also push your pathologist into a PAC solution. And so a lot of the time they would then live outside the LIS. And those solutions probably can provide viewing and AI. So they can, you know, run an algorithm on demand if they want, or the workflow would allow them to, to be in this and see what algorithm has been run on this case and see the Meditech data here. And so it, when you start adding in storage and scanner, the LIS software, a viewer, the digital packs solution, you're moving a lot of data around. But again, I think the bottom line is, I think that the common component is the hub of it. And that right now is the LIS system. Yeah, there certainly is a lot to it when we talk about an integrated solution. And I think, it, as you highlighted, it it can mean a lot of different things. You know, at the very surface is convenience, right? How do I, as the pathologist, come in in the morning, log on, and everything's at my fingertips and kind of works seamlessly rather than having, you know, having to log on to all these different 
servers and put things together piecemeal, which I think, you know, no one's been immune to that. And I think that's been a large theme in medicine and informatics since maybe, since, since the beginning of since informatics. Since the beginning of when they created the word informatics. I absolutely, right. absolutely agree. Yeah. And then I think tied with that is this idea of interoperability. So what exactly do we mean by that? I think that even that term kind of has many different layers to it. So I think, you know, I kind of think of it as, well, does all my equipment, hardware and software work with each other, right? Does, you know, so at the, at the very basics, right? So in my, in the confines of my, the walls of my office, or even in my institution, do all of these components work together? But then there's more to it, you know, as the world becomes connected, right? How do we at my institution connect with another institution, you know, there's that. And then how do we connect to networks and how does it all fit together in the face of various different vendors and standards and and so on? Yeah. And I think that, you know, one of the big hurdles that we have had, and I kind of mentioned about different vendor scanning vendors, which eventually over time, they will become a commodity, right? But they can't be really yet because they all have their own format. And I think that's what makes DICOM standards so essential that it doesn't matter what scanner um, I'm using, I can open it up with any viewer. And within that image, it's also storing multiple layers of information. And so I can send a consult to Mayo easily and they have all their information within that DICOM standard file, right? And they can open up that image and see the quality of that image, but then also have all the meta tag data that they need, whether that's, you know, patient name, date of birth, all of that information they need to be able to provide, you know, security for the patient to make sure that it is the right patient. And so I think the interoperability is is complex, even from the network standpoints and the different layers of softwares and, and the APIs that you have between the two. But the first step we really need to get to as an industry is to have standard file formats, in my opinion. And then and then that also leads to, okay, well then this standard file format, can any AI vendor run on run on this? Because right now an AI vendor says, well, yeah, I can work with the Philips format, but I really can't work with the Aperio or vice versa. And so that's a hurdle trying to be a customer or a client or an institution trying to choose the right one. Which one is more integratable? that that I can use. And each one of them has true value, but each one of them has their own hurdles with that. I mean, take, for example, a good use case is frozen sections. But if you're not able to, you may have the best scanner and it scans the best for frozen sections and and has high quality and it's really fast. But if I'm not able to open the images within my LIS or within my infrastructure, well, you know, then I move on to the next slide scanner to try to figure out what's the best one. And so I think these interoperabilities are hurdles, no question, but I think the beginning of it is getting a, a standard file format. This episode of Digital Pathology Today has been brought to you in part by DJT Solutions, your single source for all your digital pathology requirements, from consultation services to system requirements, including installation, training, and life cycle support. Since 1995, DJT Solutions, we are your best choice for your best results. So do you think that's the model that's ultimately going to win out that 
your your system is going to be the most useful the more it's able to integrate with the rest of the world or you know in you know outside of pathology i think what comes to mind always in my mind is you know pcs you know macs versus pcs right a closed system versus an open system and i think as pathologists and scientists and informaticians we like to tinker with things we like to add new components take away components and so on versus you know maybe vendors might have a different view like you know a line analogous to steve jobs and apple is they want a beautiful elegant end-to-end system that they design and you don't mess with so is is there an analogy there and if so what do you think is going to win out i think that the only way this is going to be adoptable across the landscape of pathology and, the, and healthcare is it's going to have to be open. And, you know, there's, there has to be some rules and guidelines and regulations on what we mean by open, but it, it can't be a closed system be, because you, you're not going to be able to share. And where the value of, of digital pathology is, you can look at it in multiple ways. Where's the value just internally, right? And so we could have a closed system if all my all my community hospitals and, and my hospitals has the same solution. We have the same monitors. They're running on the same networks. We have one viewer. We use one AI. That would work. But where the where the value I think in digital pathology is being able to share these, where we could we could receive images, and we could share images. I mean that's that's the beauty of it. Where we don't have to package up slides and send out. It gives community pathologists. It gives patients it gives them more access to subspecialty pathology. And the only way to do that is to have more of a, you know, and it, I don't want to confuse this with, you know, GitHub and, and, and some of these open platforms. There still has to be re- regulations on this. And I think the FDA is trying to do that. And I think, you know, there's multiple, you know, there's DICOM standard committees and the DPA is really trying to figure out how to push this forward. But I do think the vendors are beginning to understand that this is a really big space and there's enough room for everyone. And so if we can open up each one of the solutions, you know, it's going to make it adoptable for for everyone. Yeah, it does sound like there's huge value. And just as you were talking and talking about, you know, the use case of opening up access to specialists, because I mean, maybe people outside of the world of pathology may not get this, but not all cases are straightforward and you are showing them continuously to colleagues, you know, down the hall or across town. But, you know, sending out a case historically has been a big deal, like a huge ceremony, you know, packaging up those thing, those slides, getting the box, you know, getting, you know, packing tape and, you know, it was a big, it was a huge deal to send out a case. And this is a game changer, potentially, you know, at the, at the, with a few clicks, you can be sharing it with someone across the world. Absolutely. And, you know, even to, to that point for us to receive an outside console, per se, a physical glass site, we have to relabel it. And that, you know, it sounds so simple. But it's it's really not. A, it's time consuming, right? To to relabel, you know, fifty slides just so we can track it through our laboratory information system, and so it's very taxing on, you know, your, your customer service or your intake of a laboratory. And so if they were coming in as digit just images, you know, you don't have to do any of that. And so th- that is is a game changer in time saving and patient care because you you can also get get results back much quicker. An outside consult that comes into our institution, you know, may take a week or two by the time, you know, 
the client wraps it up, as you say, and it gets to our place and we unwrap it and we label it and we accession it and it finally gets to the pathologist and we give a result and then it gets sent back. All that is a manual process. And so as that patient is sitting there waiting to schedule their appointment with the cancer center per se, we could have already had them a diagnosis in two days as opposed to two weeks. And so it's not about, it, it, one, it is certainly about access to subspecialists because as you mentioned, they're not all the same, but it's patient satisfaction as well, I think at some point. And, and I think that we're, we're, we're turning towards that and understanding that. That's, it's so important. Yeah, so it does sound like patients could be some of the big winners, you know, as we as we integrate these systems and move to digital. So, talk about informatics. I know you have a, a great experience in informatics. What exactly does that mean? So maybe for some of our listeners who are not, you know, in the trenches, the the profession or the practice of pathology is divided into two large areas: clinical pathology and anatomic pathology. Clinical pathology refers to what maybe called lab medicine, right? So we're just dealing with blood tests usually. And, you know, the informatics seem, it's pretty obvious what we're doing there. We're getting, it's how do we get the results from the clinical chemistries and the CBCs and the blood glucoses? How do we get that information into the hands of the doctors that are taking care of the patients? But with anatomic pathology, you know, what exactly does that mean? Because we're taught, it's, it's, you know, it's kind of a different discipline or different practice. It's, we're taking a sample from a human being, and then it, it's an image. We create an image, and then we generate a diagnosis, which is basically a well-informed opinion about what the pathologist sees in that image. So I know as these things are digitized, we're talking about vast quantities of information, but just philosophically, how does this fall under the umbrella of informatics? You know, it's it's, and you mentioned it. It's such a wide range of things, and and but but it is certainly different than the CP. I mean, I look at it, it's really a combination of operational workflows and technologies workflows that are that are generating the need for data, and technology provides ways to capture, store, and utilize this data. I mean, it re- it can be defined as using technologies to improve patient diagnosis or management, and it's it's involved that there's more information being available. And so there's more tools that are being generated by AP informatics that can be, you know, these can be digital imaging. It it can be telepathology. It can be mining data. It could be the storage of anatomic pathology information, you know, and and this also includes, it's not just the, the digitization of microscopic slides, but it's also, it's also gross images and gross static pictures. And then, you know, the electronic format of a report. That's how I consider, you know, what AP informatics is. I think that, it, again, it's going to change and it's going to open up more, more avenues once DICOM standards are, are more adopted and utilized. You can utilize this for, you know, with informatics for automation for improved quality control. And I think that's an important piece to to this and you know is is making images available in image archives for future retrieval is, is certainly a, a, a benefit and, and that falls into the informatics AP informatics I think building and in, in, in data mining of digital slide data sets where, where we can eventually seek the similarities and the difference in tissue samples and 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 different diseases that can be utilized for research and the translational piece between you know, research and clinical. So it also, you know, can be used for 
for tumor boards and discussion panels where pathologists can, whether it's a curbside consult or an outside consult. And so all those pieces where I see that fits into anatomic pathology, not to get too far into the technical aspects of it. Right. So I think it, it's clear that we're going to get a lot of a lot of enhancements in our in our workflow. It's going to be more convenient, and we're going to not deal with slides. We're going to you know eliminate the burden of storage space. We're going to reduce FedEx costs. You know, but I think what is truly the economic case for going digital? I think it's you know maybe we've certainly been held back. It seems this technology has been with us for twenty years or so, and we we enumerate all of these benefits, but specifically, you know, what, what is the, the business case and who's going to be the, uh, the beneficiaries, so to speak, of this business case? Good question and a difficult question. I think, you know, we alluded to this a little bit earlier. Each institution may look at this a little bit differently. With digitizing these images, one benefit, it's certainly digitizing these images affords our pathologists to work smarter, I think, not harder. And it's better patient care. And so I think one of the questions is, is how can we not do it? right? Just because it allow, it, I do think that it provides better patient care and satisfaction, as I, as I mentioned too. A couple of examples of, of this may be as a, as a larger institution that, that is subspecialized, and you want to be able to provide that subspecialty to your remote hospitals, to your smaller community hospitals. But you, you may be able to have, build a model where you have general pathologists within the community, but they have access, easy access, quick access, to the especially pathologist at a larger institution or, or at the home base, let's say. But then that you take a step farther, that then you have access to the Hopkins and the Mayos and the MGH pathologists that are world renowned. And, and so I think that the patient benefits from this. I think the cost analysis is difficult when you say, well, we wanna digitize every slide that comes through our lab. I don't think we're there yet. I mean, some of them, you know, cytology, heme path is still difficult to scan. And when, you know, in a large institution as, as we are, you're talking hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of slides that we would be going through our lab to digitize. And maybe some of those cases really don't need to be. And so, so that's a hard sell. I think we're, where we have tried to do here is not rip the Band-Aid off, but find where the ROI is. And, and in that case, it's been easy to justify, whether that's scanning consults or building a consultation business for to move images around our local institution, you know, whether it's down the hall or 20 miles or 100 miles away, we can do that easily and get, get results and opinions from our pathologists easily now. And then taking it a step further is, is being able to provide this to, to community that's not part of the system. Now, with that, how does a community hospital justify getting a scanner? You know, the, just to send, you know, 50 slides or 50 cases a year. Well, their mentality may change if they did have a scanner and, and could have quicker access because then they start looking at it, it's better patient care for them and they can market that per se. And so, you know, maybe they need a smaller slide scanner, they can do that. But they also need to have the infrastructure in place to do that. And so our approach is that we've worked with smaller groups and, and, and helped them get a scanner where they could then reach out to us and be able to provide these quicker. And so even with clerical work, there's a business case where you can eliminate some of that and it streamlines the process much better. 
we will get there. I think our institution will get there as primary diagnosis because there's value in eliminating some of the, the task-based things that the pathologists do with AI. Maybe it's not generated a diagnosis, but it's, it, does, it, it counts the cells for them. And so then they're freed up to, to look at more cases. And I think you alluded to it earlier that, you know, there's just going to be more cases and it's just going to continue to grow. And so to be able to have a pathologist be able to, to look at more cases as opposed to, to counting cells per se or something like that, to, to keep it simple, frees them up to do that. And so I think there's a business case for that as well. Yeah, it certainly sounds like patients are going to be big winners. And I think you know better outcomes should, in theory, be less expensive. So I think payers, I think, certainly can be big winners here too as well. Now, what about, and and I think it's certainly, as you highlighted, the benefits are going to be slightly different depending on the practice model and the environment that we're practicing in. So what about the pathologists, though? How do we get pathologists back in the driver's seat? And then you alluded to something which I think is kind of looming on everyone's mind, you know, is AI and, you know, what they actually do day to day is potentially going to change. Right. And yes. they're going to be, you know, I think the optimistic scenario is, well, we need to free you up so you can focus on loftier tasks. Now, yep. uh, how do you how do you see that evolving? And do you see a, a dark side to that? I don't really see a dark side to that. I, I, I see I see that we need to start our trainees out earlier, becoming becoming more adapt to utilizing digital pathology. And I think we're missing the boat on a little bit of that as far as, and I, and I know there are certain modules and they take, they are becoming more involved with that. But I think our pathologists, we've, we've taken a, a, a slow, slow path forward, making sure they're comfortable with it. And then they come to us and say, hey, there would be value scanning more of these slides, these good cases. And so I think they do understand some of them, where the benefits would be and how it could provide them to be much more efficient and provide better patient care, and deliver quicker results. You know, in, in frozen sections, we're, we're able to do this in a wide widespread, and, and that is also a benefit for our surgeons because it could be it could be quicker turnaround time. We could have access to a pathologist at any time. We could consult a pathologist if it's a difficult case when the patient is is sitting on the table, and so. I think that it's just a mentality. It's a slow mentality pathologist to adopt to, but I think that we are getting there. Well, Michael Isaacs, thank you so much for being with us. I think this has been wonderful. Now, before we wrap up, I just want to ask you, what, you know, where do you see the field going in the next 10 years and beyond? And what excites you? It excites me that I, I think that we have so many people interested in this now. It excites me when I go to these different trade shows that you see a lot of pathologists interested in digital pathology. I think, you know, I think we've talked about some about some of the benefits for the pathologist and some of the benefits for the patient. And so I'm, I'm excited that we'll give a little bit more control to patients everywhere. Remote patients should be able to have the same patient care as everywhere else. And I think with digital pathology, that opens the doors to be able to do that, whether it's to, you know, a community hospital to be able to upload an image and run an algorithm on it at their fingertips. And so there's so many different benefits to do this. And and I think it excites me that we are getting to closer to standardizing these things. I think that we are, you know, with the DPA and the Digital Pathology Alliance, we're bringing in the FDA and, and MDIC and these other groups to help them understand where these hurdles are and where the benefits are. 
again, you know, you, you have to do, you have to control this. And that's why we have the FDA and they look at that, but they're, I think their minds are opening up of, of the values of digital pathology, whether it's just having the images are with the AI and, and these tools will just continue to grow. It's just going to be continue to grow just like the apps do in, in, in our, on our iPhone and, and things like that. And so that's exciting to me to be a part of that. Yes, indeed. I think we will continue to grow. Well, our guest has been Michael Isaacs from Washington University. We'll see you next time on Digital Pathology Today. This has been Digital Pathology Today. Please be sure to subscribe. Thanks for listening.